reciprocal care isn't built into the system that we live in. And so it takes extra effort to step out of that and to care for each other or to join community and to actively build community. And it takes a lot to do all of that work. Welcome friends to episode 25 of the Western Friend Podcast, a joint production of Western Friend and the Soul Force Ones. Today's episode is a special one, featuring a panel of intergenerational speakers in conversation. Recorded on July 9th, 2023 at North Pacific Yearly Meeting, the panelists reflected on the topic of meeting at the corner of wisdom and power. The speakers include Zane Freewin from Multnomah Monthly Meeting, Hazel Jordan, Olympia Friends Meeting, Adam Billen, South Seattle Friends Meeting, Jane Snyder, Multnomah Monthly Meeting, Jerry Greville, Lopez Island Monthly Meeting, and the panel discussion was facilitated by Paul Christensen. And now, without further ado, let's hear from our panel. Good afternoon, friends. The title of the panel discussion today is Meeting at the Corner of Wisdom and Power. That probably takes a little explanation. Some years ago, I was trying to meet somebody who I had never met before. We were trying to connect at the University District Farmer's Market in Seattle. Some of you know the place. We'd never met each other before, but we'd been introduced by a, a capital F friend. And we couldn't find each other for a long time because I was standing outside the market waiting for this person to show up. And this person was circling around inside the market waiting for me to come and find them. But eventually, we both almost simultaneously thought we'd better look someplace else. And we found each other. It was a life-changing meeting for me. I thought of that story as we were preparing for this panel because I've had a vision for a little while of older friends and younger friends not quite connecting. And it goes something like this. The older friends really, really want to make the younger friends welcome. And so they are holding open a parking space for the younger friends to drive in and park. And they're looking around and they're saying, where are they? Where are these younger friends? Where are they? We saved them a space. Meanwhile, the younger friends have arrived and they're looking at the older friends and they're saying, do you know how expensive cars are? We can't afford cars. The planet definitely can't afford cars. Why did you save us a parking spot? We brought our bikes. Where's the bike rack? Where's the bicycle infrastructure? But what about the wisdom and the power? Over and over again, talking with older friends and younger friends, I have heard the same thing. And remember, this is from both groups, that they feel their group has a lot of wisdom. We have so much to teach the other friends, but they have all the power. 
That's both groups. Older friends look at younger friends and say how much life and vitality and strength they have that we no longer have. We're tired. We're old. You are so young and vibrant. You have all this power. The younger friends look at the older friends and say, you decide what the meeting does. You tell us what to do. And if we say, could we try this instead? You say, no, you have all the power. I hope that this discussion among friends of many ages will help open that up, will help us to see that everybody has wisdom and everybody has power. And it's going to work a lot better if we can meet at the corner of wisdom and power and actually find each other and go forward from there. We are joined by the three friends in the room, but we are also joined by two friends online, Adam Billen and Hazel Jordan. We're going to do this in age order, meaning I'm starting with Zane and we're going to work our way up. There are multiple levels of listening. At one level, you just listen. You don't say anything. The next level up, you listen and then you repeat back or you ask questions to make sure that you've understood, but you don't contribute anything yourself. And at the third level, then you listen, you make sure you've understood, and then you respond. We're going to start off operating at level one. If we have time, we'll get to level two and we'll make space somewhere in this crowded schedule for level three. That trick, the different levels of listening, it's hard. It's really hard to not respond. For a healthy relationship, sometimes this absolutely has to happen. And we are in relationship, friends. Think about that. We'll start with this first query. Friends may start to answer the second query, the second group of queries as well. But panelists, near and far, what do you wish other generations of friends knew about your experiences as a Quaker and about how you see your generation's experience? Hello, my name is Zane. I am a member of Multnomah Monthly Meeting and Paul has asked me to come here today as the youngest on the panel. And I am very grateful because it's showing that people have been listening after we came forth with what we felt were some problems we faced last year and previous years. And the younger friends like me and Hazel have very different experiences with the community around us junior friends because of COVID, but very similar experiences with how we have interacted and been a part of the greater meeting. And I personally feel like the junior friends have had a lot of confusion and lack of knowledge that people like Paul and Mim have helped us get through. They 
don't have all of the answers, but they have supplied us with a good number of them. And we don't have someone who is an older friend who has given answers to us. Part of that is because we don't have as much of a connection, but we also haven't been looking past Mim and Paul for answers. Because of COVID, the Junior Friends has not had as much of a community around each other. During COVID, only four of us attended the online annual session. We haven't been able to help each other as much because we haven't been there for each other. And we are also unsure of not only how to be there for each other, but how to reach out and ask for help. We have had many struggles because we don't connect in a similar fashion. As Paul mentioned, the parking space earlier, we have things like social media. We have knowledge and part of that is we know how to find information online and with that we we learn to ask a computer for help and we don't ask other people for help as much and because of very small details like this we grow separate from each other mainly generational differences. I have seen many similarities with different generations, but the closer they are, the more they have had in common and the more they're able to communicate and relate. And I think we need to find a way to communicate and relate. And with that, that will bring a greater sense of community. Hazel, can you go next? Yes, I can. Thank you. Um, hello. Um, I'm zooming in from Maryland right now. When I think about my personal experiences um, as a Quaker, I feel like I've had a lot of different experiences. I was raised in Olympia Friends meeting. We had a consistent youth group at that time. And I had friends um, that I would see there that I still call my friends that would go to yearly and quarterly meetings together. And we had consistent support from our meeting. We had a lot of, we had a variety of different elders um, and different generations that we would interact with. I got the opportunity to go to FGC and I clerked there and had a clerking workshop there where I learned a lot about Quaker processes and the different ways that clerks can show up for their communities. I, and I just had a younger friend um, text me earlier today that she was going to clerk for FGC. And that made me so happy that she has been able to find community in the same communities that I'm part of, but it doesn't, always work out that way. I feel like my sense of community and my sense of Quaker process have come from that upbringing in which I feel like 
As a child, I was surrounded by loving elders and treated with respect and given a space to become myself. And as I've grown, that relationship with elders has changed. There's ones that I feel maybe more connected to, and I can look through, look at memories with rose-colored glasses. But there's also a lot of ways where I want to reach out and support elders who I feel like have taught me and cared for me. Reflecting on my generation as a whole, I see I have a lot of um, interactions with people at my university at Earlham College, um, where I'm part of Quaker Fellows and I help lead the college meeting for worship. And those groups are based off of support and listening to each other. In college meeting for worship, when we have planning meetings, we spend the whole time listening, asking questions, learning from each other, coming from our shared values of loving, tender kindness, showing up for each other as a whole, and creating a space where we feel welcome and heard. I think if I had a, a takeaway that I'd want other friends to know, it's to not be afraid to make friends and make start with simple connections. I think this is me now. Hi everyone, I'm Adam from the South Seattle Friends Meeting, but I'm zooming in now from Washington DC where I go to university. And as I was kind of reflecting on this query, I was trying to kind of remember my experiences from high school and regular to other friends because I have largely kind of drifted away from favorite communities, not intentionally, but just kind of by circumstance. So I thought I would just kind of go through my brief story with Quakerism to kind of frame my experience now. Um, so like Hazel, I grew up in, in South Seattle Friends Meeting. When I was young, young, you know, like elementary school, baby, toddler, there were structured spaces for people my age, you know, first day school or literally like daycare you know I was there intentionally but as I kind of drifted out of middle school um, that space didn't exist anymore even now as I'm not in community as much those values that I was raised in from being a baby basically you know inform everything in my life and all the other young people in my life um, I mean everyone in my life knows that I'm quicker and how that affects the way that I'm in relationship with them um, and in community with them. And I think that's something unique about that kind of group of young Quakers that grew up in the faith, but has perhaps drifted away from it a bit, is that even if we're not still an active community, those values are still a really driving force for our lives. And the value that I see in older Quakers is that, to put it simply, you guys have been Quaker longer uh, and you've solved more problems as a community together gone through more questions in ways that we just haven't had the time to yet. Um, and I think we saw that 
value a lot in junior friends. We would always have an adult Quaker for a long time. It was, it was Paul. Um, and having someone there to turn to when we were facing something for the first time. Um, and maybe we had the spiritual grounding and the values grounding, the worship sharing together. But to have someone there that had gone through that thing before and could talk to us about how they had processed it with other Quakers was of, of huge value. And I think that's something immensely valuable for young people. But in terms of how I want to engage with that going forward, I'd really like to just talk with older Quakers as if I was um, just normally as you guys talk to each other. Um, I think a lot of times we miss each other on the level of like feeling like maybe we're thinking about different things or like we're thinking about some different big questions. But really, I think we're all coming to faith and spirituality um, to explore and, and think about the same things. Um, and I think if we can just connect on that most basic level, um, that would be nice. Um, I feel like sometimes I would feel like older Quakers were missing me on the level of, you know, even sometimes at yearly, like being in worship walking or something and a Quaker would say like, we don't do this this way or something. And I felt like sometimes there was an assumption that I didn't understand the kind of basics of the faith. And I felt miffed at times because of that. Um, and just kind of keeping in mind that we've, you know, I've been Quaker for 21 years um, and those basics are there already. And we really want to connect with you guys on the level that, that you're connecting with each other kind of as part of that normal, larger community. Thank you, Adam. Jane, I'm going to hand this over to you now. Thank you, and hi, friends. I'm the first person speaking here who was not raised in Quakerism. Joe and I came to meeting 52 years ago, right after we got married, because neither one of us wanted to continue in the way we had been brought up. And the things that attracted me to the Quaker meeting were the I could see the peace testimony. This was during the Vietnam era. I could see the peace activism, and that was important to me. I could see two different forms of equality. First, the testimony on equality for all people are equal, regardless of their, their um, race and other other factors, but also because every person can receive wisdom from the divine directly into their heart, that's another form of equality. That's a form of equality for understanding process and having leadership. Because if the young person who's new can receive the information directly into their heart, they don't need to have a lot of stuff explained to them. And one of the first times I was in a position of leadership in the meeting, I was clerk in my mid-20s, and nobody gave me a bunch of, of spoken information. But when I looked out from the clerk's table, I could see several beloved friends with more experience holding the meeting and holding me. And I felt like that was respect for 
the equality of my ability to understand how things work. And I deeply, deeply appreciated it. Of course, I made a lot of mistakes, but people were super understanding and nice about it. And uh, the first time I clerked annual session, I was 31 years old and breastfeeding. And everything went absolutely crazy that year. It was the year we were running from conservative Baptists and they didn't like our welcoming policy and we essentially got kicked out. But the whole process was one in which friends held, held it in the light through all of the extra little meetings that we had. We had, we weren't in unity as North Pacific yearly meetings. So there was that piece of the work to do. And then there was work to do with the Baptists. And I, I felt upheld um, to the extent that any one could be upheld in circumstances like that and was very grateful. Hi, I'm Jerry Gravel from Lopez Island Friends Meeting. And this has been great so far. I really appreciate um, hearing from everybody and appreciate this opportunity. I grew up in, a, in Junction City, about 45 miles from here, a small town. Um, so I've always had, community has been very important and, and very much a part of kind of who I am and what I'm doing in the world. And my wife and I moved to Seattle in 1981. And after trying to find a couple of churches, we landed on UFM. And as a lot of people have said, it's just like coming home. And there's still a lot of people here. I can look around who were there then. And uh, that that place in this community is so dear um, to my heart and our heart. And there's just been so much growing through my own so that's the late 20s when we were uh here and now this year i just turned 70 so it's like wow where'd that time go but it what was really um significant to me was having people all around in our meetings and then quarterly and yearly were the way from for me and the family we had kids that were born in 81 twins matthew and rachel who grew up in this yearly meeting and some of you know them um they are now 42. um and so a lot of that connection that i had with the yearly and quarterly was also seen through their lens and they would talk similar to what um, some of the younger friends have said today about how important that was um, to them and so it was important to us to give them that experience as much as, as as possible and i'm so honored and moved as we have have i've made this journey spiritual journey in being part of um, this faith community and it hasn't always been easy there's been some struggles and there's been some um hard stuff but there's been this real connection of honoring each other of being close to each other, um, challenging each other, and also seeing it again through our eyes of our kids as they went through all the those phases and connecting with um, 
other parents, that was a huge part for us is having kids who were the same age and their parents were a part of a yearly meeting, quarterly meeting in our faith community. It was a real strong way to connect. We, my wife and I and our family, we've had the privilege of being in this yearly meeting, mostly this quarter, but having moved around a bit, we were in Seattle at university meeting, then we moved up to Bellingham um, and we were up there for five years. Then we went to Stahican, very remote in the north end of Lake Chelan for two years. And then we moved to Lopez and then we've been on Lopez now for 26 years. And each of those places has been so important to us because uh, the, the, we chose those, a lot of those places because there was a Quaker community there. That contact, that context and that ability to kind of ground and recreate a new communities as we moved uh, over the years through that has what's really kind of sustained and enlivened and enriched me um, so much in my, my spiritual journey. And I really feel like now that I'm really just as, as a lot of you know, so I said our first time back after a couple of years of COVID too, the COVID really hit for that sense of community. And it's so nice to be back here and see a lot of familiar faces. We were just talking uh, at, at meals a couple of times about how, in, how important it is to be in person again. And really that Zoom was great, but it was just, you didn't get that real, a lot of that connected stuff um, that I, I like the, theme that you know connecting and reconnecting building the beloved community i just feel like we have uh, we're we're moving out of that we're moving into that and i guess to say what would i like others to know of my quaker experience for for me it's been very very rich it's that connection that we've had through the years through the um, different stages of life and that it really has been a, a solid, beautiful place. And and one friend told me once, not that long ago, you know, said when, when we talked about our history and all of that, what I just described, they said, you know, you you guys create community wherever you are. You know, as you move, you create community. And I was like, wow, what a compliment. Um, but that sense of that community, I think, is is what you what you put into it and what you draw from and, and the connections you can make to people that really help enliven, enrich, and nourish everybody that comes. Jane, if you've got some more to add. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone. I would like to mostly go back to the parking lot versus bike rack part of this conversation. We have three um, daughters. They are now 40, 41, and 43. They grew up in North Pacific Yearly Meeting, and none of them participate now. And we're not the only ones who have a story like that. When I go through the, the list of friends who come to Bridge City Meeting, I count about 30 individuals who are in more or less that age group who don't come to meeting. Some go to other religious things, but most don't participate in the life of a religious body of any kind. 
Joe and I just had a unique opportunity to be with some faith leaders sharing on that topic with Desmond Tutu's daughter. And she she fessed up right away. She said, I have three heathen children. <laughs> so so what's what is it about the parking lot and the bike rack? Our kids will tell you one of the things is student loan debt because most of the people in the younger generation are working um, every every adult in the family is working and they have this student loan debt that they're dealing with so if there's one thing we could do if if we could wave a magic wand and either eliminate student loan debt or, or help them pay off theirs that might make a difference for our community building but i think another aspect of it is maybe that some of the younger people have felt like they weren't trusted by the older people to assume leadership skills and responsibilities i'm not sure about that um, but that could be part of it too of course the way we traditionally build community among quakers is committees and i've i have um uh, maybe more committee participation than than some of y'all, but I know that a lot of you are on a lot of different committees at the same time. And it is true that when we don't have a hierarchical leadership structure and we get our work done with committees that does build community, I'm hoping that we can find ways to get some power from the the bike rack aspect of our community and listen to the peep the bike rack aspect of our community and not feel obliged to tell them a bunch of stuff that's it all right adam i think it's back to you i think in the Bracket of friends that are younger enough to be in junior friends or central friends. Um, I always personally felt like there was uh, a tension between really wanting to spend a lot of time in community with the other young Quakers that we were there with. I think that is such a specific, unique experience that didn't exist in the rest of our lives. Having a space that's so intentionally structured and grounded in a shared set of values and spirituality just isn't the community that builds is like i've never experienced anything like it and i haven't since and so there's a, a tension between wanting to be in that space with other young people that are going through the same thing you things you are going through that are asking the same questions as you and that are doing it through the same modality is really valuable and there's a tension between that and wanting to engage with the larger community and the larger community really wanting to engage with us. And I think we did always feel that like really genuine want uh, among the larger community to engage with us. Um, almost to a point where it was hard for us sometimes to choose between taking this limited time we had with each other, which was very limited for most of us um, and engaging with the larger community. And I don't know if we ever 
found the perfect balance or not. I don't know if there is one, but that's the tension that I felt in that age. And I think then as we drift out, something I've heard, particularly on the question of um, uh, like committees and leadership, I have heard from some other kind of 20 to 30 year old friends that haven't been in the faith for a long time that they've, you know, maybe five, six years out from being a junior friend, still being asked to be on committees sometimes, even if they're not attending bodies from that um, retreat or meeting, et cetera. And I think for them, I've heard that that sometimes feels almost like the opposite. Like if I'm not already in community, then being asked to take up additional responsibilities almost pushes them away. So I think there's there's value in that, but I think it's hard. And I think that it has to be people that you know would want to take up that responsibility and that are already in regular community with you. That's the thought I would give on, on that. Thank you, Adam. Hazel. I think along with Adam, the most of my community, Quaker communities have been somewhat built for me. They've been structured for me and we've been given guidance from elders. Um, now in this kind of, um, this very mobile state of life that I'm in right now, building community with friends is building community with the people that I'm around wherever I am and taking those Quaker values that have been instilled with me and those values for a community to wherever I am. And I hope one day someone will tell me that I build community wherever I go. I think when I was younger and before I had come into a sense of my own spiritual beliefs, Quakerism for me was just community. It was just a place where I felt loved, where I had these friends, and there was so much joy there together. And I think that that basis is a great place to move forward into maybe tackling these issues or thinking about communities and how do we build structure. But the beginning starting place has to be in building connections and reaching out to each other. Um, one of the things that I've really come to recently is how much food is a community builder and in making meals together and in growing food together and in seeing that change and being able to bring things from different cultures and come together and have a shared meal is like a safe place where people can learn about each other and be open and also just have so much joy and really connect over in a joyful place is I think a really good starting place. Um, and a place that, that gives back when, when barriers to engaging in faith communities can be like time and money and feeling like there is so much burden placed on us in the system that we live in. And reciprocal care isn't built into the system that we live in. And so it takes extra effort to step out of that and to care for each other or to join community and to actively build community. And it takes a lot to do all of that work. So I think that 
we have to be able to see um, something that is given back when we want to put in a lot of that effort. You know, if we are engaging in a community, we want to be able to see what else is being given back to us. And I think that that, I mean, that comes as true for any generation of person. Just what do I wish I could do to build community is to be there in person with all of you and to, to see all of the friends that I have made throughout the years, because that person-to-person -person connection is, is really palpable. Thank you, Hazel. Zane. Part of the queries about community is where do we find it and how do we think we can build it? And I have been able to find it in some places, the quarterly meetings up in Washington. So far, I have only been able to go to one, but so many more junior friends attend because they feel like they have a sense of community there. And I don't feel like we have as much of a starting place to go off of, of where we should start building this community. So we should look outward to the groups that have good community, because what's the point of figuring out an answer for yourself if someone else can help you? There's a very different sense of community in annual session, the quarterly meetings, and even my monthly meeting. For now, I think we should try and start building this community. Even if it doesn't work out, it's only an idea. And we can always make more ideas and improve them. As a current junior friend, we don't only need to build community between generations, but each other. We've had a lot of struggles recently with COVID and everything's kind of started to fall apart with that. A lot of the resources that we used to have and traditions have been forgotten or replaced and the pieces of the junior friends community that we have lost we can't just try and create again but we have to create something different and i think creating something different is a good place to start thank you zane i've been out of the classroom for a year or so let's see how well i can do questions on the fly. A couple things jumped out at me. I heard from one friend that they currently have a space where they feel welcome and heard. I heard another friend say, talk to us, like one of the younger friends say, talk to us like you talk to each other. And I heard another friend say, maybe we shouldn't do a whole lot of telling people what to do and lecturing. Do friends feel lectured at? Do friends feel like they've been, uh, the friends on the panel feel like they've been condescended to or 
poked at by either generation, by in either direction? Do the old folks feel like the young folks are making fun of them behind their backs? Do the young folks feel like they're being put in their place constantly? Do we feel some ageism in the room? Uh, I don't think I feel like I was, and I'm speaking past tense here because I'm largely talking about high school. Um, I don't think I feel, felt lecture. I think at times I felt like there was not um, a full understanding of what I already had kind of grounding in and that I had been Quaker for a long time and had kind of those fundamentals down, if you will. Like there was 100% a respect for my perspective and my voice and kind of my own spiritual journey. But like sometimes it wasn't expected that I fully understood everything that was happening on like a logistics of worship level. But yeah, I wouldn't say I felt I've ever felt like lectured then. I have been lectured before. It was a while ago. But something that I have thought about since then is the format that the information was given to me in, either it being presented to me in a very condescending way or it being lectured to me. It wasn't fun. It wasn't an interesting experience. I didn't learn well from it. But me and other junior and central friends and even younger friends still need to learn. We still need to gain that information from the older friends. And part of the reason why we feel lectured is because a lot of times there are, we're given the information that we need, but we remember the one bad time because that's how the human mind works. And if we find a good way to spread the information and teach the younger generations in a kind and caring way, I think the feeling and the questions around lectures and being condescended to won't be around anymore. I did have a few ex experiences when I was a lot younger of having people Quaker explain, but not too many. And the, the idea that we have the faith that the wisdom and the truth will come directly to each individual has been very important to me. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm just struggling a bit to respond to some of what Paul was sharing. I don't think I ever really felt lectured to, but I think I did feel like somebody, quote unquote, eldered me well. And so maybe to really let me know their perspective. And then if I then shared that with somebody else, they may say, well, you know, that is that person's perspective, right? That's not necessarily the whole of this community or this meeting or this whatever. So that helped, helped me as, as I'm growing into this faith to uh, be able to not take it too personally and also try to see where, where there was some learning that I could 
in, in wisdom I could gain from it for myself. And I, I think it was, you know, talking about um, what Jane was sharing. So we have these two kids who grew up in this meeting. One is a member of the Mennonite community in Chicago. So very much spiritual community, but just not Quakerism, but really valued the Quaker experience they have. Our other um, child has not embraced either one, but very much feels very uh, like a lot of the young folks here have shared, really got a lot of values, a lot of meaningful connections with people in the world and felt respected um, as they were um, growing up. Hazel? Um, I'd just like to echo that individual relationship with the divine and that individual relationship with faith and how each of us are walking this spiritual path that cannot be laid down or guided by another person that is our own and is based off of our own experiences. And as much as we can learn, and I have learned from hearing spiritual experiences from other people, the most value I think I've gotten has been from just being open and stumbling, stumbling through processes and figuring it out. Another thing that I noticed in your various sharing was that it sounded like there might be some differences, just, you know, different things have happened to your different generations. Obviously, older friends did not get hit by COVID in their teens. Jane mentioned debt. I think that's a big thing that has changed significantly between the time when Jane, when you were Hazel's age and now just to pick a couple, but we also see some commonalities hearing these stories, listening to each other. Do you think there are really are some things that are just plain different that just, well, you know, your generation isn't going to get that you didn't go through that. Or do you see more commonality? Do you see it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the same kinds of things that I thought about or that I think about? Whoever wants to jump in. I think one difference that piqued my interest was um, hearing Jane talk about those active peace and equality testimonies and how that really stood out to you. And when I introduce, if I introduce myself as a Quaker, no one knows what I'm talking about. They don't, you know, think of, oh, like really active um, protesters or, you know, really standing up in certain movements that are happening right now. And I think that that might be a difference. And the way that we protest and the way that we those principles are active is very different now. And I think people are turning towards smaller communities and building that support for marginalized groups within their communities. I think that that, that, that is a difference. 
between each other, but largely I, I hear similarities. I hear similarities in our values for community, for reaching out to each other, a wanting to have these connections um, and similarities in our spiritual values. I think there are a lot of different things that have similarities. Some of the older friends were around during Vietnam and my generation has a similar problem with violence of guns. So there's always that similarity. Driving a car and riding a bike, it's still transportation, but there's different reasons for each. Certain things like the LGBTQ community, some of you didn't know about it when you were younger. It's something that you have to learn about. And a lot of us who know about it are willing to teach as long as you guys are willing to learn. So we can always learn from each other as long as we can communicate. Speaking of communication, there's this thing. And the old people did not grow up with it. And we're noticing that a lot of people don't talk to each other, they talk to this. That's a difference. <laughs> I guess I was reflecting on uh, that, yes, me growing up in the LBGTQ community or that conversation, yeah, wasn't much. But when we got to Seattle, even in the early 80s, it was a, a big um, topic and a very one that became very close um, to my heart and in the meeting and the university meeting struggled with that for a good while there. And so it, it also there's there's a bit of that history and there's also a bit of that it's now you know there's there's changes there's development in that we're all trying to to catch up with and stay on top of um and i think it's a a healthy kind of challenge and i think it is a a challenge for some of us older folks who want who were and are and they see ourselves as progressive and, and all that but also there are times when that the to try to really get a handle on what some of the newer issues are and some of the subtleties of it we need to be schooled and need to be enlightened and and uh, need to be taught so we can come up to where we would like to be adam yeah um i don't yeah i don't see anything as ir irreconcilable I think that almost the opposite in that, like, I think it's easy to see whatever the current moment is, as like something entirely new because whatever the specific thing is, is new, but you know, these kind of waves of cultural change are, are waves and you guys went through your own waves in your generations um, and have worked through different issues, but perhaps in, in similar ways. And I don't think that whatever the current moment is makes that um, impossible. Um, because, you know, when I'm however old, I'm sure there will be something that I'm struggling to figure out how to understand that my <laughs> grandkids are 
doing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't see anything as irreconcilable. Um, I think there's wisdom in what you guys have have gone through in your generations that can be applied to whatever's happening now. It's all waves of progressivism and then backlash and then et cetera. So. Okay. I am running out of clever questions and also less clever questions. So we do have a little time remaining. I'll have a final word and then we'll do some final worship. But let's move to that second level of listening. You've done a great job of the first level where, yeah, sit there and you listen. But let's move to that second level. Is there anything that you would like clarified or didn't quite understand or would like to hear a little bit more about? Please remember that we are not at the third level. We're not responding. There will be time and chance to do that. While we have our panelists here, does anybody have any questions to like say, I didn't get that. Can you work that out for me more? Catherine Spinner, university meeting where we got to welcome Iris and Jerry. What I'd like to know from each of you, um, Adam, you spoke about people not believing that you knew like Quaker basics about process. Then there's Quaker history, basic Quaker ideas. How did you all learn those things? As someone who's taught a lot of young people, I'm curious. Um, but I also wonder, as adults coming into the community, was there a formal way that you picked up those things, or was it a matter of conversations? Lovely question. Thank you. Who wants to go first? Yeah, I think for me growing up, it was, um, what's that age group called? Upper elementary, first day school. I don't know, whatever it was called at South Seattle. <laughs> um, we had uh, a Quaker who came in and taught things to us slowly. And then as we kind of grew up, we slowly started doing worship sharing and worship walking, worship discussion um, as, as a group and with um, other Quakers from the meeting. And then I think the most formative thing for me was then going into Central Friends and Junior Friends and starting to you know, have the opportunities to clerk um, ourselves, um, you know, doing it by just actually doing it, I think was the most valuable thing. And I also, you know, I don't mean to say this, that there's not, I don't have, or young people don't have more to learn in terms of clerking, et cetera, from older friends. Um, but I, you know, I think we all want that wisdom. And moving into adulthood, I mean, I can't really tell you because I haven't really been super engaged with the faith since leaving high school. So perhaps that is a path for discovery. Anybody else want to chime in on that? I do see that we have another question on Zoom, but I want to make sure everybody has a chance. Friends Doreen, let's hear your question. Thank you. First, thank you to everybody. Um, so responding, reacting partly to 
Jane and Jerry, who came to Quakers, not having grown up here, that was kind of my experience too. And I don't know how many people heard Lauren Brownlee on Wednesday night at FGC when she talked about FGC right now has these wonderful programs that engage all kinds of youth. And then they go home and they look up their Quaker meetings and the experience is um, not what they were getting at FCNL. And so it's a little bit follow up on Catherine's question about, well, what do people think, what do different people think would be ways to engage, build community? Because there is some common aspect of Quaker practice and there's some different aspects of spirituality that were important to me. And I kind of like to just throw that question into the group and thank you very much for bearing with my need to put my hand up and say something. So to just to confirm, and you can give me a thumbs up if you got this, if I got that story in, um, what are some ways of building, some additional ways of building community? And you were particularly hoping to hear from Jerry and Jane? Um, well, it's, it's people who come in from different ages, including people who are at the young adult college age who have experiences in Quakers outside of Quaker meeting. So it's a kind of wide open, out of the box question. So I'm gonna give it to the room and let people hold it that way. I guess our experience, I think it's a little different. So we came to UFM and as anybody who's not been there, you know, probably they're in Multnomah, one of our largest monthly meetings and the whole yearly meeting. And, and some people say it's hard to kind of meet people and make community and connect. Well, we came, uh, Iris was about six months pregnant and, and then we had introduced ourselves and say, you know, that we were here. And then we unexpectedly, four days before they were born, we had found out we had twins. So then we got up and introduced the kids, the twins, you know, within the next two weeks or so. And that with it, I think maybe it was out of pity or something, but then it was like all these people wanted to come up and meet us and talk with us. But the other great thing is, and I don't know if other meetings do this, but it was a great thing for us as new people was a newcomer's potluck. You know, so it was just, they had some people who had been around for a long time and some new people and they paired them up and there was what, maybe eight of us, I can't remember, something like that. Um, and Betty and Erwin Hoganauer, for those who remember, um, talk about somebody who was really inspiring. Erwin uh, was a CEO in World War II and was sent to McNeil Island, the federal penitentiary for his objection to uh, serving uh, in, the, in the military in the draft. Anyway, so he just had stories and experiences and uh, it, you know, it was just amazing. So those are some of the ways that work for us that I think are a little unusual, but it was very powerful. Adam or Hazel? Olympia Monthly Meeting has a craft night in the winter where people can bring crafts that they know how to do, skills that they want to teach people, and everyone makes presents for solstice celebrations and that kind of thing. 
And there was also for a period of time, I don't know if it's still happening, a young adult potluck that um, was, I think, very successful and built in that structure of community. And I really like the the buddy system idea and having that one-on-one connection with someone. I don't remember, maybe Hazel or Zane can help me. What did we call our like guidelines that we would always go back over at the start? We had the safety ones and then the, whatever that was called that we would rewrite, Paul? Code of conduct, maybe? Yes, maybe, I think so. And one of our items on there was no exclusive activities. And that like, for me, doing that within junior friends has totally changed how I engage with people outside of junior friends. Um, And I try to like hold that with me every time I'm in like a new space. So just like making sure that nothing is happening, that not everyone is actively invited and hopefully able to do. At Multnomah monthly meeting for the junior friends, occasionally we would go get coffee about once a month and about also once a month, we would have a game night on Zoom. And it's for the junior friends and their families, it's not made to introduce new people to the community, but it's made to maintain the community while um, we were still dealing with COVID and it has stuck around and it has been one of the few ways I've been able to stay connected to a lot of the Multnomah junior friends. All right, friends, we're nearing the end of our time here. Just a final thought then. To borrow a phrase that I bet most of you have heard in one context or another, you can't be what you can't see. Jerry, I was struck at what you just said about being paired up with inspiring elders and learning from their example. Because Jane, the reason I thought I might have a chance at being a clerk is because of the story that you told me that you had clerked at age 31. I had never seen a clerk in my time that young, but you told me that you'd done it. So if it can be done, then it will be done. Has been done, can be done, shall be done. But I had to see it. So what are we showing each other? And what opportunities are we giving each other to show? Especially people of a different age group. That's a final query for you all, I guess. Um, Take that with you. Do with it what you will. But for now, I want to thank each and every one of the panelists. I want to thank each and one of you, attentive audience members. Thank you so much, friends. And that wraps up another episode of the Western Friend Podcast. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you tuning in, and a very big thank you to all of the panelists and participants in today's conversation. 
You can find more information about the Western Friend podcast in the episode notes. And don't forget, new episodes are released the first Saturday of every month. And you can still dig in to any of the previous episodes in the archive wherever you listen. Until next time, peace.